Hi, welcome to the Forge Church Catch-Up Podcast. My name is Becky and you have joined us for our series, Seven Stories, where we're looking at some of the standout stories that Jesus told over 2,000 years ago. Although these stories were told long ago, they are uncannily relevant and applicable to our lives today. So get yourself comfortable and let's begin. There's huge power in stories, isn't there? If you think about it, um, the O2 Stadium in London uh, can be filled with people from uh, all walks of life, from uh, whether they're rich or they're poor, uh, and yet somehow the storytelling of a Michael McIntyre um, or a Peter Kay, as they tell funny story after funny story, just somehow it draws and pulls everyone together, because that's the power of story. Some of you will know what it's like to be sitting on a train and you'll have your book and um, you'll be reading the story and you'll be so engrossed in the story that you're, in a sense, not aware of anyone else around you or anything else that's going on because somehow the story just captures your imagination uh, and so you're able to switch off from, from everything else. Because you see, a good story, a good story kind of um, evokes emotion within us. That you hear a good story and you can end up crying. You can hear a good story and you end up laughing. You hear a good story and suddenly you kind of feel better in yourself. Because what a good story does is that it takes hold of the story and takes hold of you and then kind of pulls us both together so that we find ourselves in the story. That's the power of story. Now, stories play such an important part in your life and in my life from when we were very, very little, because it's likely that our parents or guardians um, uh, would have had books from when you were two, three, maybe one, uh, and you would be showing pictures and you would be telling stories. And nearly always uh, for, for us, there is a story that kind of captures us, whether it was a story that we read ourselves when we were four, five, six, whatever. Uh, but that, those stories stay with us. And there's like, if you, if you go and find the book, it still kind of brings a smile back because it makes you feel comfortable. Go on. Some of you will have a story. Like, one, if you have, just tell the person next to you, what's the storybook from childhood that, that kind of does that for you, brings that, that great memory, that great story? Go on. Just tell the person next to you very quickly. Okay, all right, and that's, um, that, that's enough, that's enough, that's enough. You'll get all nostalgic otherwise, so stop now, okay, stop now. Uh, just to give you a little bit of insight, um, uh, for me, there were two books which, which were really key for me growing up. Uh, they didn't change my life, I just loved them. Uh, the first one was Dear Teddy Robinson. Um, I, some of you will remember that, at, yeah, you can't really get a hold of it now, but um, I loved the story of Teddy Robinson. Teddy Robinson meeting Father Christmas, my favourite, oh, so exciting. Uh, and, and then as I got older, as I kind of um, moved into kind of later primary, school, uh, I was introduced to the Famous Five, all 21 episodes or books of the Famous Five, and I loved George and Timmy and Dick and Ju- do you remember? Yes, I didn't like Anne very much, she was a little girl, but um, uh, otherwise, I'll tell you, this was, um, these, these books were great. And so when it came to my kids, it was really important that we chose some great books for our kids as they were growing up. And so again, for them, uh, they had Percy the Park Keeper, and we would read that story over and over and over again. There were various stories 
stories of Percy the Park Keeper. I absolutely loved them. And, uh, and then obviously as they grew older, it then kind of moved into the Harry Potter series uh, of the seven books of that. And so somehow stories can capture us from a really, really young age. And actually there is an art to telling story. Because you can have a very average story told brilliantly and it just comes alive. And you can have the best story ever told badly and it loses all of its power and its life. And so storytelling and stories play a significant part in our lives. And of course, as Dave was saying just a few minutes ago, the master storyteller was Jesus himself, that he was able to capture the imagination of thousands of people at one time, where he explained these big issues through stories. He got people to question things about life. How? Through stories. In fact, it says in one part of um, uh, one of the narratives of Jesus' life that wherever Jesus went, all he seemed to do was to talk in stories. Why? Because stories capture our imagination and we're able to see things in a different light through a story. But, but Jesus' stories weren't like a... Um, a Michael McIntyre, where he just tells one story after another in order to entertain people, nor was it for him to become famous either. That Jesus told these stories, he told them so many stories, and they were linked in a way that um, resonated with people's lives. That he would tell stories that linked somehow with something about God's character. Something about how you and I can experience life to the full. Of what might happen next in our life and in our experience. And I love it that, that Jesus could have just been giving instructions to people. Telling people what to do and how to live. But actually, more often than not, he told a story that painted a picture so that we could work out ourselves what it is that's truth and how it is that we should live. We call these stories parables. And basically, a parable is to place something alongside something else. And that's just what Jesus would do. He would take an everyday, ordinary situation, and then alongside it, he would place a truth about God or about life or even about death. And even though these stories were told a long time ago, 2,000 years ago, just as Dave was saying, so many of these will just be forgotten because they won't be relevant anymore. Somehow, 2,000 years after Jesus told some very simple stories, that captivated and captured the attention of crowds, they are still relevant for us today. And so that's why we're doing this series, Seven Stories. We are looking at seven stories. That's what we're going to be doing, one story each week over these next seven weeks. But before we head into um, our first story, I just want to give a little bit of context to when Jesus tells the story that we're going to be looking at today. Because there is something about Jesus which was so extraordinary, so on the whole different to you and me when it comes to other people. And it was this, that people who were nothing like Jesus liked Jesus and he liked them back. Now you look at that and think, what? No, but people who were nothing like Jesus liked Jesus and he liked them back. 
That's unusual because on the whole, we as people are drawn to people who have similar interests or have similar personalities or have similar backgrounds to ourselves. We are naturally drawn to those people. So if there's a crowd like this, we will normally try and find someone who's just like us so that we can have a coffee and talk because it's so much easier. You know, yes, on Thursday, I went and visited my best friend, Steve Miles. Uh, we've been friends from um, high school days. Um, he's actually uh, a relative, a distant relative of mine. Actually, most people in Suffolk are distant relatives of mine. But, um, uh, uh, but, but Steve and I have so much in common in that um, we do share similar family roots. We both um, grew up on farms and um, was involved in farming for a very short space of time. Um, uh, we both uh, played in the same football team together. Uh, we got married around the same time. Uh, we had kids around the same time. Uh, Steve worked with this church for about five years in the end of the 90s going into the noughties. Uh, and then he started his own church um, uh, a while back. Uh, he's an Ipswich Town supporter. Thank you very much. <laughs> that sums it up completely, doesn't it? One person... One person. <laughs> That's right. And, and he and I love sport. And so whenever we meet up, whenever we can, we'll go and play golf together. We'll temp in bolt. It's that kind of stuff. We have so much in common. So it's inevitable, in a way, you could say that Steve and I are our best friends because we have so much in common. What's so different about Jesus is that Jesus' friends and the people that Jesus hung out with were just so different to him. You see, people who were nothing like Jesus liked Jesus, and he liked them back. The people who were most comfortable in the temple, the people who were most comfortable in living a religious life, were the most uncomfortable with Jesus. And the people who were not welcomed into the temple, who were not part of the in-religious group and the religious crowds, were the ones who were most comfortable with Jesus. So it meant this, that wherever Jesus went, crowds of people would flock to see him and would flock to hear him. Crowds would do so because they just loved being with Jesus. And for me, this is just such a huge challenge because naturally I will always be drawn to people who are like me, who believe the same things as me, who support the same teams as me, who likes the same sports as me. So does that apply to me? People who are nothing like Steve, liked Steve, and he liked them back. I don't know. You see, we as a church, if we are the body of Christ, which is what the Bible terms the church, in other words, that, that uh, we are Jesus' representatives here on earth, what was true for Jesus should be true for us together as a church. That people who are nothing like us as a community should like us and we should light them back. That's why our vision as a church is so, so important. Our vision is this. It's to be a church community that unchurched people love to be part of. Which means that as a church community, we need to do everything we can to be welcoming people who don't believe the same things as we do. Who don't live the same lifestyle as we do. Who think very differently about the world as we do. That actually, oh, 
to be a church community like that, that welcomes people who are different to us, is going to be so important as we move forward as a church. It needs to shape everything we do. So this is the context then for Jesus as he tells his story. This is how Matthew 15, uh, where this story is recorded. In fact, it's part of a trilogy. See, Jesus got in with trilogies way before other other films and and books, I tell you. This was part of a trilogy. We're only going to be looking at part one. This is um, how Luke records it. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. Why? Well, it's because people who were nothing like Jesus, like Jesus, and he liked them back. So they wanted to spend time with him. And it was tax collectors and other notorious sinners. So tax collectors have this little box of their own. Do you notice that? It's a bit like politicians and all other horrible people. Do you know what I mean? That's the kind of, uh, I'm not saying that's just an example. Okay. No, 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 no. But tax collectors and other notorious sinners came to listen to Jesus speak. But they weren't the only people who were around listening to Jesus' stories. There was another group, because it goes on to say this. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. You see, the religious people of the day thought this, that if you want to be right with God, you've got to keep yourself really clean. And if, to keep yourself really clean, what you've got to do is to keep yourself separate from sinners. There you go. So, so whatever you do, don't mix with people different to you. Find people who are like you, who believe in God like you, who want to live a clean life like you, and just spend time with them. Keep everyone else out because you might be defiled. And here is Jesus who is spending time with tax collectors and sinners, and they hate it. And in this moment, Jesus recognizes that there are two different groups of people. There are the religious leaders, the Pharisees, and the sinners, and the tax collectors. There are these two groups of people, and both have a wrong understanding of what God thinks of people who are far from him, who haven't ever got to know him, or who have drifted away from him. And so, Jesus tells them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors, saying, rejoice with me because I've found my lost sheep. See, Jesus takes an everyday situation that people are very, very familiar with, and he uses it as the basis of a story to teach something so very important. You see, there were lots of sheep, there were lots of shepherds in Israel in those days, so this was a familiar picture for them. And so he asks them a question right at the start of this story that everyone knows the answer to. He says, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Well, everyone knew what the answer would be. Jesus goes on. He says, won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? See, have you ever stopped, if you've ever come across this story before and say, isn't that a risky way to operate? Because leaving 99 for the one means that 99 could get lost, couldn't they? So doesn't that seem to be, wouldn't it be better just to say, well, I've got 99, that's plenty good enough, I don't want to lose any more, and so we'll just look after the 99. No, he says this, that you're going to leave the 99. Why? Because sheep are stupid. 
That's why. And sheep will just stay together. And where one sheep goes, the rest of the sheep will go. So on the whole, they're relatively easy to find. And so he leaves the 99 to go off to find the one, to search for the one. And what was interesting is that as Jesus was saying this, the Pharisees would be nodding, saying, yeah, that's right. And the tax collectors would be nodding, going, yeah, that's right. And then they'd be looking across at each other and thinking, we're agreeing. For the first time in our lives, we're agreeing. Jesus found this common ground as part of this story. And he goes on to say this, and when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. Why on his shoulders? Because if you ever tried to steer a sheep, okay, it is a nightmare. uh, Because sheep will just go anywhere where you don't want them to go. Um, Whereas a a flock, you can steer, you can guide, uh, but you can't a single sheep. So you have to pick them up and you have to put them onto the shoulders. So the shepherd picks it up, puts it onto the shoulders, takes it back, and then puts it with the other 99 where it's safe. Because of course, uh, sheep stay together. uh, And so therefore, they can be looked after that way. And Jesus then goes on and says, when he arrives... He will call together his friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. And everyone's saying, no, you don't do that. Not over a lost sheep. You don't hold a party over a lost sheep. What is he getting at? What's he talking about? But you see, what's happening here is that Jesus is making a point. He's making a really, really important point that you and I will identify with. You see, when we lose something of value... We focus on what's lost to the neglect of what's unlost. We do. We do. This is common to everyone. This is human nature. When I was um, in South Africa a number of years ago, um, I I lost my wallet. And uh, I was very frustrated. I'm pretty certain it was stolen. But anyway, at one point, I just lost it. So I went to pay for something, hadn't got any money. And uh, someone else had to pay. And so I went running back to the car, and I searched in the car, and I couldn't find my wallet. And, uh, And so then when we drove back, I searched through the bedroom, and I couldn't find it at all. So because I couldn't find it in the bedroom, I went back to the car, because, of course, the car must be the place where the wallet was, even though I'd looked. But I'd only given it a man look. You know, there's, there's a man look and there's a proper look. So I tried to give it a proper look and I lifted up carpets and stuff like that. And it still wasn't there. Then I went back into the house where I was staying and I was searching and I searched my bedroom. I looked in saucepans. I did, because when you get into that frantic mode of thinking, I've got to find it, it's gone somewhere. And so there was me frantically going around and, and, and I never found it. But do you know what? Never at one point did I think, I've lost my wallet, but I still got my sunglasses. I just didn't, because you see, the focus is never on what you've still got. Your focus is on what you've lost. Just think of your mobile phone. That's at least three quarters of you here will have known what it's like when you're thinking, where have I put my phone? To think I've still got my door key doesn't make any difference, does it? Because we're still thinking, where's my phone? Where's my phone? Where's my phone? That's what happens to us. You see, we can't compensate the lost thing of value with unlost stuff. It doesn't work that way. So when we've lost something, all of our emotions go into finding that lost thing of value. See, let me just put it another way. Take Dave here, who has been hosting. Dave uh, and Miranda have got two children called Rose and Millie. And imagine that Dave chooses to go off and take the girls to Pleasurewood Hills for the day. And they're busy doing the rides and all of that. And then suddenly Dave realizes that Rose isn't with him anymore. And so he, he searches around. He's going around uh, on the rides, asking people, have, have you seen my daughter? Have you seen my daughter? Until eventually he gets to near the end of the, um, uh, end of the time there. And he has to make a phone call to Miranda. So he picks up the phone and he says, hello, darling, I've got some good news and some bad news. The bad news is 
I've lost Rose. The good news is I've got Millie. (laughs) Now, the good news that I've got Millie gets completely lost, doesn't it? Of course it does. Because all of Dave's attention will be on finding his oldest daughter, the one who's lost. When we lose something of value, our focus is always on what's lost, not on what is unlost. So what is Jesus talking about? Well, Jesus goes on to explain a little bit more. goes on. He says, in the same way, so just as the shepherd has been searching for the sheep and rejoices when he finds the sheep, in the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Bit strange here. Jesus is talking about sinners being lost. That God has lost track of all the sinners because they're lost. Where are the sinners, God? I don't know where they are. Sinners, happy days. We can do what we like because God doesn't know where we are. Now, that's not what he's saying here. Of course not. What he's saying here is that people aren't lost spatially. God knows exactly where you and I are. Whether we are followers of him or not, God knows exactly where we are spatially. It was about where people were relationally with God, whether they were lost to him, a relational disconnect. That's what Jesus is talking about here. And remember, he's talking to two groups. He's talking to the religious leaders. I'm sorry, I keep saying you're the religious leaders. Uh, I I apologize for that. It does mean, sorry, it means you lot (laughs) are the sinners. But anyway, um, I'll, I'll just keep doing that for the time being, if that's okay. But it means that there are still these two groups of people who are listening to Jesus. And the implications of what Jesus says for both of them is extraordinary. Because the implications for us, for this story, is extraordinary too. The good news for you, (laughs) Lord, the good news for every person who doesn't know God, who is relationally disconnected, who might even wonder if God exists, or maybe that you have once known God, but you have just drifted away, or you've been hurt, and so you've actively chosen just to let go of this thing called a relationship with God. There is great news for every single one of us in that position. The great news is is that God is desperate to find you if you're currently lost to him. Now, this was such amazing news for the crowds as they were listening to Jesus. So to all of the not good enoughs, to all of the failures, to all of the overlooked people, instead of God's attention being smiling on the religious people, all of God's attention is focused on winning back of finding those who are relationally lost to him. That God's attention was on those who don't feel good enough, who are distant or even hiding from God. I tell you, this is great news for every single one of us here who perhaps had a relationship with God and it's drifted or have never had a relationship with God. That God, his heart is so great for you 
but he wants to forget about the forge. He wants to forget about Christ. His heart is to be able to see you discover the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. That's what he wants for every single one of us. And he wants to do everything he can to win you and to bring you back. And maybe that's why you're watching today. Maybe that's why you're listening to this podcast today. Because in fact, you're doing a bit of a search at the moment. And you're thinking, is there a God? Is there more to life than this? And God is wanting to run after you to say, my love is so great for you. Fenning, you can forget about him for the time being. My attention is on you. Because my love is so great that I want to see the relationally disconnected from me to be close to me. It's not about being in or out of a club called church. It's about being lost or found and being part of a family that God calls us to be part of. God is passionate about you. He doesn't want to be away from you. Why does he do that? Well, it's because when we lose something of value, we focus on what's lost to the neglect of what's unlost. That's why God's attention is for you. That's why he's brought you to here today. That's why you are listening or watching today, because God wants to win your heart. A bit later on, Jesus would state really clearly exactly why he came. It was a guy who had been lost who was relationally disconnected from God. And Jesus, having had a meal with him, finishes off by saying this, for the Son of Man, that's the term that he called himself, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who were lost. Who were the lost? Jesus would say, it's those who were lost to me, who are no, not in a relationship with me, and I've come to win them back. And my question to you is, if you're in that place where you feel a bit relationally disconnected from God, the question is, do you want to be found? Do you want to be found? Because if so, there is great news. Let's go back to that verse again as, he, as uh, Jesus finished. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and turns to God than over 99 others. If we want to be found, it means coming to God and to saying, God, you have searched me out. You've found me. And I want to start this relationship with you. This is a, a mindset turnaround. Life without you to life with you. Following my own way to following your way. That's what repentance means. It means turning another way, having a mindset change. And do you know what? The challenge as I finish, the challenge, uh, the uncomfortable bit for, for us lot here as a church is this, is that our mission needs to be exactly the same as what Jesus' mission is, which is to help lost people find God for themselves. That's what our mission is as a church, or as we term it, to help people to find and to follow Jesus to see our family, to see our work colleagues, to see those in our community, our friends, connect relationally with a loving Heavenly Father. And that could sound easy, but it's not, because naturally, for us as a church community, we will always be drawn to looking after ourselves. We just will. 
We will always do that. We will want to make church how we want it to be, what we think is the right way of doing it. And actually, what we have to do is to remove every obstacle that will get in the way of someone encountering the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. That's what our church community has to be about. You know, someone said that the gravitational pull of the local church is always towards the 99 and not the one. Because we want it to be the way that we want it to be and we don't want others to spoil it. But do you know what? The gravitational pull of the Father is in the opposite direction. Because he always runs after the one, leaves the 99. So are we as a church going to be four people who are far from God, who believe different things to us, who live differently to us, who have a different worldview to us? Or do we want to make it just a club where we all agree with each other? I tell you, if we go down that route, let's stop now. Because God calls us to the same mission that the shepherd has for the one lost sheep. So I just want to finish. The band are going to lead us in that brilliant song, The Reckless Love of God. But are you out of a relationship with God? Do you not sense that you are close to him right now? Then the good news is that he is chasing after you. That his love for you is so great. And he wants a relationship with you. And if you are in a relationship with God, then what are we doing? To be part of the story of God, of seeing those who are relationally disconnected from God being found by him. I just want to encourage for those who are part of this church here, next week, why don't you invite a friend to come and join us here? They might not believe, they might not live in the way that we do, but why not invite them? Invite them so they can experience the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Can I ask that we stand together, please? Let me pray. Jesus, your story here is such a simple one and yet contains the greatest truth ever. That for those of us who are far away from you, you don't ignore us, you don't turn your back, but you run after us. You are out to find us, out to help us to, to reconnect with you. And Father, I pray for every person watching, listening, or here in this room today who is disconnected from you, God, that you would put a desire in their hearts to be found that they would turn to you and experience your never-ending, reckless love of God. And as a church, I pray that you would help the mission to never be about us, but to be about your mission of seeking and saving the lost. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening. We want to keep the conversation going, so make sure you follow us on our social media accounts at Forge Church. If you want to see or hear more about The Forge, check us out online at forgechurch.com where there's an opportunity to find out more, a chance to give and to browse previous series. See you next time.